Uh, so good to be here. Uh, we are over 630 miles away from home, but this feels like home to us. I just want you to know that we love coming out here and spending time with, uh, with, with this church, with Christian and Danielle, getting to know uh, some of your staff members and the ones that we've connected with in the past. And uh, my wife, Amy, is down here, and uh, she gets to hear me speak three times today. So you may walk out of here and go, poor woman, poor woman. But um, she, uh, we, together we have, uh, I'm going to say this, three kids, and uh, we'll put this picture on the screen. This was our Christmas picture from this past year. Um, this is our oldest son, Taylor, in the blue shirt over here to my left, and he's 23, just graduated from Covenant College. And uh, our other son, Zach, who's uh, three years younger, he's a, just finished his sophomore year at Liberty University. And um, our third son in the middle there, uh, and, and there is rivalry in this, with, with the, the two brothers go, this is the favorite in the middle, right, Dad? And like, eh, you know, but anyway, so he, that's, our, that's our three-year-old uh, Gibson who uh, we just love, and he's a big part of our family. But I want to say this, um, I want to tell you how proud I am of you uh, for supporting this whole idea of sending Christian and Danielle on a, on a sabbatical period of time, I know that uh, in, in the business world, it doesn't happen a lot, and, and I, do it, I do it quite a bit, to be honest with you. Tomorrow, I start mine. Um, but, and people come up to me and go, man, it must be nice to do that. And I'm like, it is so nice. I wish your, your business would do that for you because it's so great. And, uh, but, you know, I, here, I've been doing what I do now for 30 years, uh, 21 years at the church I'm at that we planted 21 years ago. And I would not be where I am. I wouldn't be here today without that. Uh, our marriage would not be as healthy as it is without that. Our kids would not still love God and love the church without that. It has been so much an important thing. And I want to tell you something. Uh, Christian is, uh, I, I, I told the last crowd, I, I work with over 250 church planners, um, and he is in the top three. And I'm, I'm not saying that because I'm standing here. He just is that good. Danielle, uh, she has led worship at our church. I've told her, I'd hire you. You're that good. And so you just need to know you've, you've got great people and a staff, but you've got a great couple leading this church. And, and to invest in their healthiness um, is such a, a huge statement for you. And I pray that you will encourage them, that you will support them, that you will pray for them. Uh, because when he comes back, he is going to be fired up. He's going to have so many new ideas. Staff, put your seatbelts on because when he comes back, to be like, whoa, what just happened to, to Christian? It's just, it, it's, it'll be a beautiful thing. So anyways, um, it, Christian, we, we, we went to dinner last night. And I told him, I said, dude, you don't realize what you've done to me. Uh, you have given me two entire chapters in the Old Testament to cover this morning. And uh, I think you have severely overestimated my teaching ability to do this in the time that I have up there. And so here, here we go. I got a lot of ground to cover and not a lot of time. So let's just start with Gideon. Who, who is this guy, Gideon? You're in the series on the judges. And, and Gideon, the Bible tells us he is the son of Joash the uh, Abyssalite, not a household name from the Bible, right? Their family business is farming. Matter of fact, when we're introduced to Gideon in, in, in uh, Judges chapter 11, what is he doing? He's threshing wheat. Threshing wheat was this process that was used back in the day to separate grain from the husk. But there's something peculiar about what's going on in the story. We see in verse 11 that he's threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, why is someone like him threshing wheat in a wine press? Well, he's hiding He's hiding his family's food from the enemy, and he's scared to death. He's hiding in a wine press, and he's paralyzed by fear. Now, why is this guy Gideon, who is a judge, he's one of the judges in the Bible, why is he struggling with fear? Well, here's the bottom line. He's overwhelmed by his circumstances. Go back to verse 1, chapter 6, and let me read there. 
The word again, 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 the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive. The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts in caves and in strongholds. Now, verse one starts with this word again, again. Why is that? Well, if you know anything about the Old Testament Israelites, you know that they had this bad habit of drifting away from God. They would drift away from God. They would drift towards other gods, idols. And it happened again and again and again and again. And even though they knew they were in sin and they knew the consequences of walking into this sin, their sinful choices, they just, keep, they just kept choosing to walk into the scenario again and again and again. And as a result of their sin, God would allow them to be conquered by other nations. He would allow them to be oppressed by other nations. And then sometimes they would, they would become slaves to foreign kings. And so here in, in, in Judges chapter 6, that's what's happening here. The Lord has, Israel has done evil in God's eyes. And as a result, again, he's allowed them to be oppressed. And this time, they're being harassed by the people of Midian for seven years. The Midianites, no longer a nation, I'm not even sure exactly where it is today. They were a powerful nation. They hated the Israelites. They were so ruthless, so cruel. The Israelites had to, had to constantly hide from them just from being attacked. They hid in caves. They hid in cracks and gaps and mountains, anywhere they could find hiding here. He's hiding in a, in a wine press. Every time the Israelites would plant crops, the Midianites would come down and they would destroy all their crops. They would kill their cattle. They would kill their sheep and their goats. They would ravish everything in sight. They just kept terrorizing the Israelites again and again for seven years. And finally, the Israelites do what the Israelites did all the time. They had enough and they cried out to the Lord, Lord, help us, save us. Now at this point, you might expect God to be done with these people, okay? We're done here. But there's this pattern, okay? Again, there's a pattern. Falling away from God, worshiping idols, and then reaping the consequences of their actions. But there's also this pattern with God. We see this pattern of God's faithfulness. There's a pattern of God responding to their cries uh, for help by offering them forgiveness and grace and mercy and deliverance. And how does God offer deliverance to the Israelites in this story? Well, he does it in the most unlikely way. Remember the guy who's hiding in the wine press because he's scared to death? The Bible tells us the angel of the Lord, he comes down. He sits down next to him, sitting down next to a tree. He looks over at Gideon and he says, uh, Gideon, the Lord is with you. You mighty warrior. You're a mighty warrior. The angel tells him, he says, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty hero. How many of you feel like a mighty hero when you're trapped in fear? Not me. I mean, how many of us feel like the Lord is actually with us when we're paralyzed with fear? That is not the feeling I'm, I get when I'm in that, in that place. And neither was Gideon. I mean, he didn't feel like a mighty warrior, didn't, didn't feel like a hero, and he certainly didn't feel like the Lord was with him. Look at verse 13. He replies, he says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now... Now the Lord has abandoned us and he's put us into the hands of the Midianites. Gideon says, listen, God, if God is with us, then why is he allowing this to happen to us? Why are these enemies continuing to attack us? Why, do they, why, why is God allowing them to destroy our crops? Why have they been allowed to kill our livestock? And what about the miracles I, kept, I grew up with hearing about? The miracle that God performed by bringing the people out of Egypt. What about God's promise to my people, the people of Israel, that we would be a chosen nation? 
Have you ever got to this point in your life where, you know, your circumstances, you're so overwhelmed and you actually question God's promises? Lord, I'm questioning your faithfulness. I'm questioning your promises, your presence. I mean, I have done that. Have you ever, have have your circumstances ever overwhelmed you so much that you've been paralyzed by fear that all you feel like is, Lord, I think you abandoned me. Lord, I think you have forgotten me. I've been there as well. And this is where Gideon is. He's questioning God's faithfulness. He is questioning his goodness, his promises, his character. He's questioning his presence. He is believing feelings rather than what he knew to be true. He's overwhelmed by his circumstances. But the truth of the matter is, is that God is with him the whole time. And he had a plan and a purpose for Gideon's life. He saw something in Gideon that Gideon didn't see in in himself. Gideon saw a man of fear. God saw a warrior. Gideon saw this man who was insecure. God saw a man of valor. Look at verse 14. It said, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hands. And then he asked him a question. Gideon, am I not sending you? Am I not the one here that's sending you? But Gideon is so consumed by fear, so overwhelmed by the strength of his enemies, he couldn't even see that God had the ability to work through him to save his own people. Listen, it is so easy to get trapped in this moment, isn't it? I mean, to be overwhelmed by your circumstances that we begin to question, God, are you still with me? God, are you still walking with me? God, are you still faithful? Is God really good? Can God actually handle my issues? Is he stronger than my problems? I mean, how in the world is he going to use me? And this is where Gideon is at this moment, listening to all of the wrong voices. He has seen the strength of the enemies. He has seen what they have done to Israel in the past seven years. He's trapped in the moment. He can't can't get out of the past, the present, and he's scared to death. And even even though God has sent an angel to him, to say God sees you as a mighty warrior, a warrior that, that, that he, he is like handpicked, personally commissioned to defeat the Israelites, to defeat the Midianites. He can't do it. He's overwhelmed by his circumstances. He's paralyzed by fear. He's crippled in discouragement, overwhelmed with despair. And the Bible tells us something else about him. He's feeling very insecure and insignificant. Inadequate and insecure. Verse 15, he says, but Lord, he says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. In other words, God, I don't know if you know this, my clan, my kinfolk, my peeps, we're not warriors. We are not fighters. We are farmers, and we barely struggle to make ends meet. We grow wheat, by the way. And and by the way, God, I don't know if you've noticed, but when it comes to me, I'm, I'm not a leader. Matter of fact, I'm really nothing special. Just ask my family. I don't know, for some of you, you may have... You may identify with this moment. I mean, you, you, you come from a very difficult family situation. You grew up feeling insignificant, inadequate. Um, you may have been told all your life that you're worthless. You may have a, a mom, a dad, or someone who's just told you, you know what, you're a zero. You're never going to amount to anything. And like Gideon, you see yourself as the weakest link in your family. And all of that has worked together in your life to make you feel very insecure, very inadequate, and very fearful. And I've got a word for you this morning. Those feelings, those thoughts, they do not come from God. They, they, they don't come from him. It's another voice speaking in your ear. You're like, how do you know that? How do you know those voices aren't from God? Because they seem really convincing. 2 Timothy 1.7. 
For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and of self-discipline, a sound mind. Listen to what author pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones says about fear. He says, when a man is defeated by life, it's always due to ultimately to the fact that he's suffering from a spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is real, the ultimate cause of all failure in life and all unhappiness. Listen, God wants us to live in a spirit of power. He has filled us not only with love for himself, but love for others. And he's given us the power to have self-control, self-discipline. He did not send his son Jesus to rescue you from your sins and save you from an eternity of being lost without him. And then give you the Holy Spirit so that you can walk through life passive and fearful and scared to death. Like, well, Brian, I, I feel that way. What do I do when I, when I, when I feel insecure and inadequate? You take those cares, you, rec- you, you take all those thoughts, you recognize who they're from, you cast them and, on Jesus who can handle them, you draw strength from the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you replace those lies with the truth, you believe God's truth, you embrace his faithfulness and his promises even when you can't feel it and you just keep moving forward. That's what you do. Well, how did God help Gideon in this moment to conquer his fears? Well, he just kept continuing to reassure him of his presence. Three different times in this chapter, God assures him of his presence. He tells him, I'm going to be with you. You don't have to worry about the enemy. You don't even have to worry about fighting alone. Verse 12, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Verse 14, go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? Verse 16, I will be with you. And listen, you can be sure of this. When God calls you to something, not only is he going to give you the strength and the courage to do it, but he'll be with you as you do it. He will go in front of you. He will give you the grace. I love these words from Billy Graham. He says, the will of God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. The will of God will not take us to where the grace of God cannot sustain us. And we could look at so many verses right here in this book this morning that just remind us of that truth of God's presence in our lives. But for Gideon, words weren't enough. Gideon needed some tangible proof. He needed to, he needed to know for sure that if he was going to throw himself out there and fight, fight against the Midianites, that lead the Israelites, that God was truly with them. His doubt and fear literally caused him to feel like, Lord, I got I to gotta have something visible. I got to see it i got to have visible proof that you're really, truly with me. So what did he do? He said, God, would you just give me a sign? Show me that it's really you talking to me. You ever done that before? I've done that before. Jesus, could you just show up right now? Stand in front of me. I won't tell anybody. You just show up. Let me know what's going on here. Here's what Gideon does. He says, God, will you bear with me for a moment? Because i got a little bit of a plan, okay? Um, Don't go anywhere because I'm going to go get an offering and I'm going to bring it to you. And I love what the Lord says. Okay, I'll wait. God says, okay, I'll wait for you. And so following the angel's instructions, Gideon takes some goat meat, he takes some bread, he places it on a rock, he pours some broth over it, and then the angel touches the rock with a staff that's in his hand, fire comes up from the rock, consumes the meat and the bread, and Gideon has this charismatic moment, he says, oh no, Lord God, he says, I've seen the face of the angels. he's, He's probably running around, doing a little dance, I mean, the whole thing. Then the angel tells him, okay, here's what I want you to do now that you've just seen that. Go get the second best bull from your father's herd. He's seven years old. Tear down your father's places of idol worship. Tear down the altar of Baal, okay, the foreign god. 
then cut down the Asherah pole, which is the female version of Baal, which is standing behind it, and build an altar to the Lord and sacrifice the bull. And the Bible says he does it, but he does it at night. Why? Because he's scared. He's afraid. And the next morning, the people of Israel in his clan, his family, wake up, and they find that the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole has been taken down, and they discover that Gideon is the culprit, and they want him dead. I want to tell you how significant this is, what just happened here. It would be like the Kansas City Chiefs fans. Okay, someone tearing down Arrowhead Stadium right as the Chiefs were getting ready to go into the Super Bowl, which was going to be hosted right there. Okay, but that's what we're talking about here. I'm from Georgia, big NASCAR I'm not into it, but I'm just telling you, our people, crazy, crazy. It'd be like tearing down the Daytona Motor Speedway right before the race. Golf fans, it'd be like tearing, like someone tearing up Augusta before the Masters begins. The Israelites have just had their place of worship torn down. The Baal altar, the Asherah pole, they're gone, they're, and, and they're fired up. They want, they, they want blood. They want Gideon. And Gideon's father steps in, saves his life, and tells the people, okay, here's the deal. If the, if, if the false god Baal is so powerful, let him defend himself. And of course, we know Baal never shows up. Verse 32 says, therefore, on that day, Gideon was given a new name. He was called Jerubbaal, that is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Now, when all this is going on here, all of this, this crazy part of the story, something's happening on the other side of the Jordan River. The Midianites, the Amaleks, and the other people, other nations that were in alliance with them, they're on the other side of the Jordan River getting ready to attack the Israelites once again. And I love what happens next. The Bible says, the spirit of the Lord takes possession of Gideon. He blows a ram's horn to call the clans of Israel to come together. And sure enough, because they know about what just happened with the angel and the rock and the whole deal. They start coming. They, they're ready to fight. They're ready to go at it, okay? But there's a big problem in the story. The man that the angel has called the mighty warrior, the man of valor, the mighty hero, he's still struggling with doubt and fear. Gideon, is, is, he's not struggling with what to do. He knows what to do. He still wants to know if God's actually with him in the story, okay? Before he leads the army, He wants to make sure that God's actually still going to fight with him. So how does God respond to this? He meets two fleeces that Gideon puts before him. Now, he says, God, here's the deal. I know you might strike me down, but if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel, as you promise, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? I'm going to take this wool fleece over here, and I'm I'm going to put it on the ground. And if tomorrow the fleece is damp, and the ground is dry, I'll know you're with me. Judges 6.38, and that is what happened. Gideon rose early in the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out, a, wrung out the dew, and, a bowl, and there was a bowl, a bowl full of water. Now, at this point, you think, okay, Gideon, you, you had to have seen enough. Not the case, okay? Okay, God, don't get, don't, don't get angry with me, but I just need to see a little bit more power here. I need, to, I need to know if you're really, 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 really with me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to lay down the fleece on the dry ground. And, and if in the morning the ground is wet, but the wool is dry, then I'll really know you're with me. Verse 40. That night God did so, and only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Now, I think most of us in this room... We can probably relate to Gideon. God's called you to do something, but you're paralyzed by fear. God, I will do what you ask, but you have to show me first that you're with me. 
You have to do that for me, right? I've done that. We call it a fleece, right? Well, then God steps into the story and he throws Gideon a really, really nasty, big curveball. I mean, if you're into baseball, it's a 12-6 curveball. It drops hard, right? He looks at Gideon's army and he says, okay, Gideon, you ready? You have too many men. Say what, God? What? Yeah, yeah, there, there are too many of you. If I let you, if I let you go fight the, the, the Midianites and all the other armies, you're gonna, you might get a big head and think that, it, you, that it's all been you that, that's defeated them and not me. So here's what I want you to do. Tell all the men who are scared to go home. And so Gideon, he's probably thinking, I'm leaving. But he stands there and he makes an announcement. If you're scared, go home. Out of 32,000 fighting men, 22,000 go home. We got an army of 10,000. That's a, that's a pretty good size army, right? And God says, still too many. What? Are you kidding me? Yep, too many. Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your army down to the river. I want you to have them drink water from the river. The men that actually lay down and lap water up from the river like a dog, like put your tongue in the water, the river, send them home, all right? The men that kneel down, cup their hands, drink from their hands, that's your army. I want the guys laying, they're the savages. I want those guys, right? God says, no, that's not the way this is gonna work. All said and done, God left him with 300 men. You say, that's a crazy story. What, what a story. Lots of principles from this story. I want to give you four, just quick, quick. Ready? Number one, God looks at the person that we're becoming, not just the person that we are right now. When Gideon looked in the mirror, he saw an insecure, scarred man who could barely support his family. He saw a man that that was just a, a disappointment to everybody, a failure in so many people's eyes. But God looked at Gideon and saw a mighty warrior. He, he looked at Gideon not as a frightened man hiding in a wine press. He saw Gideon as a mighty man of valor. He saw a great military strategist, a man who could lead 300 men to fight thousands and thousands and win. And that's how God sees you today. That's how God sees you. God sees you as the person that you're becoming, not the person right now who's trapped in a story and you don't know what's going to happen. Philippians 1.6 says, and I'm sure that God who began the work, good work in you, he'll continue this work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus comes back. You say, how could that be? How could that be? How could, how could God still see, use me this way? Because he's not finished with you. He's not finished. You may be just stuck in a chapter that's not working out well, but the book hasn't been written yet. And you may never, you're like, but but, but no one's ever, no one's ever seen me this way before. Listen, what you need to know is that when God actually sees you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he sees Jesus in you. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees the holiness of Jesus. And just so to be clear, in order for God to, to use you, we have to take a step of faith. We have to actually be obedient And Jesus says this, apart from me, you can do nothing, but with me, all things are possible. See, when God calls someone to do something, he's not looking for the best looking. He's not looking for the wealthiest or the smartest or the perfect. See, that's how we judge people. He's looking for faithful. He's looking for willing. He's looking for obedient. He knows your potential. He knows what can happen when a sold out Jesus follower gets filled up with the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons that I love this book so much is it's because it is full of story after story after story of messed up, obscure, 
insignificant, fearful people. And when I read it, I realize there's hope for me. God can still use me. See, God sees our potential and who we're becoming, not just who we are in the moment. And he is not finished with you yet. Number two, God is big enough to handle our tough questions, our moments of unbelief, our in our uncertainties. I, I, I know that many of us, I grew up with, with this mindset, don't ever question God. Don't ever question God. He will strike you down. That's the God I grew up with, right? Don't, don't feel... You, when, when, when you struggle with uncertainties and, and, and unbelief, I mean, you should feel very guilty about that. But can I tell you something? Here's what I've learned. God understands our questions. He understands our uncertainties, and he's big enough to handle them. Tomorrow, June 25th, um, will, be the tw- will be the actual 14th year anniversary of my dad's death. I got to hire my dad on my staff in the year 2001. Came on staff. He was our life, life care pastor. Did a great job. It was one of Three years of my life that I just, his office was right next to mine. I love this period of my life. Went on a rafting trip with a th- my 13-year-old brother who's adopted, getting him ready for high school, getting ready to turn 14. And he, uh, the raft got caught. He got out to push it out, slipped, fell underneath the rock, got trapped, and he drowned. I don't know if you've ever gotten a call, anything like that. But I, the next day, after having to go up there, identify his body, I'm sitting on my porch the next day and I'm going, God, I got a lot of questions about your faithfulness, about your goodness, about your wisdom. I don't get that. That doesn't fit anything I know to be true about you. And it doesn't, your love. I mean, Lord, I got, I got some questions. Matter of fact, I'm gonna say some things to you. Go ahead, take me out. I'm good. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at that. You've been to that in one of those moments? Yeah. Some heads going, yeah, oh yeah. Now, years ago, I would have felt guilty for even thinking any thoughts like that. But you know what? Over the last many years of walking with people through their toughest moments of life, and as I've experienced many moments like that and more since, I've learned that God can handle our questions. He can handle our doubts. He can handle our fears. He can handle our uncertainties, our moments of unbelief. He can handle even moments where we go, God, what are you doing right now? And he proves it in the story. Through all the doubts and fears and questions, God shows Gideon. He understands them. And it's okay, Gideon. It's okay to have a few moments like this. Why? Because God knew his questions, knew his doubts, knew his uncertainties were going to ultimately lead him to a step of faith. You see, God's big enough to handle your fears, your unbelief, your moments of uncertainties. But I want to challenge you, don't live there too long. Because Satan will mess with you. you. You open up a door. You don't want to be there too long. Don't allow yourself to be paralyzed and trapped by fear. Every Sunday, and this Sunday was no exception. When I walk right through those doors back there, I, just, I say the same thing every single Sunday. Lord, this is not an audience to be feared, but a family to be loved. You say, well, what's wrong with you, bro? You've been doing this for 30 years. I still get fearful standing up in front of people. I don't know any of you except for a few of those people right there. I mean... Jeremiah 32, 17, says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and outstretched harm, you did all of that. Nothing's too hard for you. And sometimes you've got to keep repeating verses like that over and over and over in your mind until your feelings, your feelings which lie to you, 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 you grab hold of the truth. Number three, amazing things can happen when we allow God's spirit to work through us regardless of our doubts and fears. Listen, Gideon tears down the altar to Baal, offers a sacrifice to God. Verse 34, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, blew a trumpet, 
summon his own people, his, his family, okay, the weakest link in the family. He's, they come and they follow him. And when Gideon tore down the altar, do you think he was scared? What is my family going to do? Absolutely. That's why he needed more proof. Listen, but you know what I love about this guy? He did it anyways. At each crisis of belief, God met him and strengthened him. Psalm 27, one, I love this. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Principle four. God doesn't need a big display of power or numbers to do the miraculous. He just needs a little faith. You're like, okay, how's the story end? Well, the armies of Midian... Amalek, the people of the east, they begin to gather together. The Bible says there were so many of them. They looked like a swarm of locusts. They had so many camels. They looked like grains of sand on a seashore. And God tells Gideon to divide his armies into three companies. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give each man a ram's horn, a torch, and a clay pot. And I'm sure each guy's like, are you serious? This is what we've got going into battle? And he tells them, he te- and then he tells the army, when I give the signal, guys, I'm going to give the signal. I'm going to blow the ram's horn, all right? I want you to shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And so the Bible says after midnight, Gideon and his company, they all blew their horns and they smashed their clay pots and they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And in their left hand, they held up their torches. In their right hand, they held up their ram's horn. And you're like, what happened next? They got wiped out, right? Nope. Verse 22, all the way into chapter 7. Got there, got there, Christian. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Things got a little crazy. The enemy, they got so confused, so frightened. What's up with these people smashing pots? They got torches. They got... what? They, start, they turned on each other. They started killing each other. And the rest of the people, they see all the craziness and they start running away. And here's Gideon, the scared, poor, insecure farmer, the tiny army of 300 men who drink from a river like gentlemen. And all they have are horns and clay pots and torches. And they defeat a ruthless, mighty army made up of several nations who all were armed with swords and spears. What an amazing story. And you say, how does that happen That doesn't even seem possible. How could that be? It's because God can do amazing things when ordinary people display just a little bit of faith. Gideon was scared. He was insecure. He questioned God. He had doubts. He had moments of unbelief and uncertainty. But at the end of the day, what he had working for him was just a little bit of faith. And God did the miraculous. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is rebuking his disciples for their lack of faith. And he makes this amazing statement to them in verse 20. He says, I tell you the truth, if any of you have as small, as faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Gideon, listen, you think about all of the great characters of the Bible who had tremendous faith. I mean, Noah built an ark for years. Abraham led the people of Israel, first, you know, father of the nation. Moses leads the, leads the Israelites out of, you know, years and years of bondage out of Egypt into the, you know, crossing over the Red Sea. But what Gideon had, he just had this little mustard seed of faith. And Jesus was talking about that. What is a mustard seed? It's just a tiny, tiny, tiny little seed, but it's alive and it's growing 
And if you keep nurturing it and you keep just leaning into it, it will continue to grow and it will spread until it overcomes every other plant in the garden. Listen, we don't need a lot of faith for God to do the miraculous as long as that faith is alive and it's moving and it's active because God can take it as small as it may be and he can do the miraculous. Don't believe me? Look at my man Gideon here this morning. Because when it was all said and done, this insecure, frightened farmer, he ended up being in God's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, which lists all of the great ones. And they talk about each moment of faith. And at the very end of the chapter, whoever wrote Hebrews, he says, check out the first name in the book. He says, and what what more shall I say? After I've talked about all these other ones, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson, Jephthah, mentions David, Samuel, the prophets. There's, There's his name right there. I know that some of you are here this morning, you're struggling with fear. Here's what the Bible says about fear. First of all, it's not from God, but perfect love casts out all fear. There's only one place where perfect love comes from, and it's from Jesus. And I want you to know that God sent Jesus out of perfect love for you to die for your sins, to take all of your insecurities and doubts and uncertainties and fears and all of the things that overwhelm you. And he took it all to the cross along with your sins. And he says today, cast it all on me. I conquered all of it. I overwhelmed it. I defeated it. The one who speaks lies into your minds, I publicly humiliated him. It's all been done. And then when I rose from the dead, I conquered death just to give you hope for the future. And for some of you, you may have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus before. Perfect love wants to cast out not only your fears this morning, but all your sins and give you forgiveness. Would you bow your head for just a moment with me today?